Good morning, everyone. Good morning. We have a little different, a little different way that I, that I phrase that, <clears throat> in my sermon title, Matthew chapter nine twenty three through twenty seven, and that was when when Peter heard what Jesus said about the rich. How hard, hardly can a rich man enter into the kingdom of heaven? Uh, he said it's like a camel trying to go through the eye of a needle, but and it won't work. A lot of people have tried to explain this different ways. They've said, well, the eye of a needle was a, a little gate in the city of Jerusalem that's surrounding the wall. And, and for a camel to get through that, you have to take all of his burden off and he can crawl through. Basically, what Jesus is saying is that a rich man can't use his riches to get into heaven. That's basically in the kingdom of heaven. He just can't get in. Let me see if we can use an analogy here. Tear, tear some pages from current events. We're all aware, and I don't want to bring up names, of course I'm not going to, but we're aware of, of the scandals that have come across recently about uh, college entrance exams and college entrance acceptance. And, and there have been several very rich people who wanted their children in UCLA and SC and Harvard and so forth. So in order to get them in, they have bribed people they said, okay, my son was a polo star, or water polo star, and so a, a mere matter of maybe $450,000, they got him in. And then when it was discovered, they put him back out. So the point was that his money was not going to get his son into school. And the same thing with a couple of daughters of one of the famous actresses. And, and so they bribed officials at the SC, I believe it was, and said these are water swimming stars or, or rowing stars or whatever it may have been. And so they bribed them to the tune of probably a half a million dollars to get them into SC. And when it was discovered, they said, no, your money won't get your kids into school. That's very, very apparent, isn't it? And so that's what I believe Jesus is telling the disciples. Your money is not going to get you into heaven. It's not going to get you into the kingdom of heaven. You cannot buy your way in. That's a simple, simple illustration, isn't it? It's like a camel going through a needle. It won't work. It simply will not work. That's what he was, what he's trying to tell them. So... We get the idea, however, when we live in a very affluent society, we get the idea that basically we live in a blessed society. That God is looking down upon the United States of America and he's blessing us. We have all these what we call physical blessings abounding. We're the richest nation on the world and so forth. And so we begin to think in terms of God's favor as what we have the possessions we have. And that, that, of course, is a mistake. Money cannot buy valuable things. Now, the, old, the two fellows talking about it, one fellow said, is, is the man happier that has $2 million or $1 million? Well, it, it does, does, does uh, money make you happy? It does make some people happy. But it is not what will get us into God's favor. That's not going to happen. And when Jesus taught this, he taught to a society, he was talking to a society 
that were expecting, this society was expecting to get rich. That's what they were expecting. They were expecting the kingdom to come back like it was under David and be prosperous. They were going to get wealthy. Each one was going to get wealthy. Each one was going to get land back that belonged to their family. And that's basically what the Jews are still looking for. They expect the Messiah or the son of David to return and restore them to God's favor physically. In other words, we're going to monetarily get the advantage. They live in, and we live in, in this country, a profit-driven society. We're looking for the blessings of God in terms of everything getting better for us every day. And sometimes we mistakenly make that statement. We say, look how much God has blessed us. Look at our houses, our cars, our furniture, our clothes, so forth. God takes care of us. And of course, He clothes clothes us like He promised in Matthew chapter 10. Like the lilies of the field. Solomon didn't look that good, he said. Like the lilies of the field. He clothes one day you have it, one day you don't, though. That's the problem with the lilies of the field. So, and he, he said, we're not to take thought for such things. What we will wear, what we'll eat, etc. God will take care of us. So, our, our attention should not be on what we have in order to gain the favor of God. And that's where Peter was having a problem. So, when Jesus told his apostles, the rich are not going to get it, not, not going to get in. You're not going to get in by your riches. Then Peter said, and I use, I use the phrase a little differently than it's found here, but Peter said, Lord, we have left all. What then shall we have? We've left everything. Peter left his fishing business. Peter left his wife behind. His, he left his family behind. And Peter went off following Jesus. And he said, we've left everything. What shall we have? What shall we have? Well, Jesus said, you're going to have two things. I don't know whether you picked that up in this text or not, but I'm going to read it and show you what I, I, I see in it. Jesus said, Peter, you're going to get two things for following me. He says at verse 28, I say unto you that you which have followed me in the regeneration, that is, in the new life that he was going to establish, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, you will sit upon twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now that happened when Peter announced the gospel. When Peter and the rest of the apostles preached the gospel. They preached the standard that would judge all humanity. So they actually essentially sat upon thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Because they were revealing the will of God. So he said, you're going to get two things, Peter. One thing, you're going to get to do something important. Judge the twelve tribes of Israel. Secondly... He said, everyone that has forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first. Two things. Okay. The two things that he said you're going to get initially is he said, you're going to get to judge all of Israel. And that, that he did, when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, they began to preach the gospel. 
And Romans 1 at verse 16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. Everyone that believeth, Jew first and also the Greek. So the apostles preached the standard of righteousness. So they were sitting on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he said, then he said, you're, you're going to, you, if you left everything, I'm going to give you a hundredfold what you left. Wow. I'm going to read Luke chapter 18, verse 29 and 30 as well. Same, same text, same event, a different writer. Of course, Luke is reporting it in another, another way for elucidation. He said unto them, Luke 18, verse 29 and 30, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that has left house or parents or brethren or wife or children for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive manifold more in this present time and in the world to come life everlasting. So he, he, in the second part of this promise, he said, there are two things you get here too. One is you're going to get all these things a hundredfold that you left. And the second thing is you're going to get life everlasting. And of course, when we, when we preach the gospel and we talk to people, we say, well, you know what? Riches don't last. They don't last. So you're going you're gonna to get what you have during this lifetime. But one of these days you're going to come down to the dead end of your street. And riches are not going to do you any good. You're going to die. It is appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. Then the judgment comes. That's pretty severe. The, the Old Testament writers talked about this. Proverbs 10 at verse 2 says, The treasure of wickedness profits nothing. So treasures are, are really don't, don't give you everything. And in Proverbs 11 verse 4 says, profit, uh, Riches profit not in the day of wrath. And Jesus said, remember there's a fellow that was doing so well in his time. He said, I'm doing so good. He said, I don't even have a place to put everything I've got. <laughs> I, I watch, you may watch on TV too. We try to watch some, the pickers, they call the pickers. These guys are running around the country looking at people that collect things and some of these people that collect things have so many things that they have to build more and more and more and more buildings to house what they're collecting it's it's just massive so much stuff that's what this fellow did he said i've got so much grain i don't have a way to put it so he built some bigger barns and then god said thou fool this night your soul will be required of thee, and who shall these be? Well, you're going to be cast away, he told him. Who shall these things be? So we, we understand that. That's not a hard issue, is it? You know, even if you're 19 years old, you know that things are going to grind to an end one of these days, and what you have, and what you've accumulated, is not going to get you into heaven. Doesn't make any difference what you have, how much you have. Jesus is saying, the love of money is what, and that's what Paul said it later. He says, the love of money is the root of all evil. So you get all caught up in making money, and the, eventually the time's going to come that's not going to sustain you. I'm going to tell you something, my friend. I'm going to tell you something this morning that you already know, but maybe you haven't thought about enough. There's something far more valuable than money that God gives you now. I mean now, not later, now. Amen. And when we talk about heaven, wow, 
then we're talking about something that goes way beyond our imagination. We can't even imagine what it's going to be like in heaven. You know, there's no description of that in the Bible of heaven. Nothing. There's no description. You don't know what heaven's going to be like. When he talks about in Revelation chapter 20, he talks about the city made of gold. He's probably talking about the church now. But he's not talking about heaven. You say, well, is it going to be pretty? Go look at, the, go look at what God has created already and ask yourself, can it be any prettier than this? Go to the Grand Canyon and look at that. Can it be prettier than that? Look at the Alps. Can it be prettier than that? Go through the forest and look at the trees. Look at the animal. Look at the vegetation. Say, can it be prettier than that? And the answer to that is yes. In all likelihood, it's going to be prettier than that. And it's going to be more exciting than that. But we don't know. By faith, we say, okay, Lord, we're going to take it because we know you're going to make us extremely pleased. But Peter was told... Now, Peter, he said, you will gain a great deal more than you give up in this life, and you will have it now, and you will also have eternal life. You're going to get something now. So the question is, what are we going to get now? Well, Peter said later in 1 Peter 1, verse 3 and 4, that uh, he has begotten us again unto living hope. So we have a living hope, and it's an inheritance. <coughs> Excuse me. Paul calls the inheritance, which is later on, the riches. But we often mistake this view, the promise, in terms of our notion of riches as something that we create instead of what God has created. So I, I just would, I, I would advise you, from my point of view, don't get caught up with what we can do with what God can do. He can do a lot more than we can. We can see the beauties of what we can do and we can be awed by it. But we have no idea. Well, we do have some idea of what God can do. And what He can do for us in our inheritance. The word blessed means happy. If we lose our relationship of faith in Jesus Christ, we're not happy. Blessed are the poor. What is He saying? He's saying, I can make you happy. Blessed are those that mourn this life because you'll be comforted. What is he saying? I want to tell you. There are three items that we know about in our society that you'll run across all the time. When you're, when you're talking to people and when you're seeing things on TV, reading things in the newspaper, you'll, you'll hear these three items brought up all the time that the things that are most valuable to us and where we have our, our real... Our real grounding of our being is in first in God, our family, and our country. God, family, and country. Now, why do we say things like that? I've been studying this for a little while, and, and the notion is that things have kind of turned over in this country. We now go, we now go to country, family, and God, and God comes in a long way down the list. What we're talking about when we talk about things like this are relationships. A relationship. That's the most valuable thing you have in your possession. Did you know that? The most valuable thing you have. A relationship. You have a relationship with your husband or your wife. You have a relationship with your mother or father. Your aunt, your uncle, your family. Your son, your daughter. 
your grandson, granddaughter, great-grandson, granddaughter, and on it goes. You have a relationship. That's the most valuable possession you have, and if you don't have that, I'm going to tell you something. You don't have anything. If you do not have a good relationship with God, you have nothing. Now that's what Jesus came to give us, a relationship with God. He came to bring us back together to God. Took away our sins so that we might come back to God and that we have a relationship. Then Jesus is with us. If God be for us, Paul said, who can be against us? So if you think you're standing all alone and everybody else has abandoned you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you know what? You are not alone. You are not alone. Now he's talking about when he told Peter, here, I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you a hundredfold of what you gave up. What did Peter give up? He gave up his fishing career. Now you talk to some fishermen, they'll say, well, that's not so bad. <laughs> because they, their fishing wasn't that good anyway, especially down in Port Angeles and so forth. Anyway, he said, he said, you're giving this up, but I'm going to give you a hundred times more than you gave up. Amen. What's he going to do? He's going to give you a relationship with others as well as with his Father. Jesus has given us a relationship with his Father. And he exemplifies he that, that importance to us in, in various ways. And I'm going to have to go back and, and maybe put some, put some groundwork down here in just a minute. What he's saying is you're going to have a relationship with others that will take the place of the relationship that you lost. Okay? When you stood with Jesus Christ, Jesus said, if you are, if they cast out your name as evil for my name's sake, happy are you. So he said, I will stand with you. Okay. But what about, what about the other relationships? What about others? Probably one of the saddest things that we can think of is somebody who dies alone. No friends, no family, nobody with them, all by themselves. Didn't believe in God, didn't care anything about God, and died all by themselves. And there are a lot of sad stories along that line. That would be sad. And that is sad. But when, when you stand with Jesus Christ, you're going to be standing with a lot of other people who believe in Jesus Christ. And that's, that makes a difference. That's a relationship. And I'm going to describe that in just a minute. But first of all, what I want to say to lay the groundwork is this, that in order to be part of that community, and that community is mentioned over in Revelation chapter 7, I believe it is, verse 9, when it says the throne is surrounded with those who have white garments, and palms in their hands. We look at that and think, well, they're, they're all dressed in white. You know what we've done? What a Christian does? A Christian washes their robes in the blood of Christ. So the robes get white. What, what does that mean? That our clothes are clean? No, it means that the character has changed. Now you are of a different character. You have, you have gold character. You have sterling character. You have high ethics, high morals. You're a decent person. You're a trustworthy person. You're someone that people can depend on. 
Because your robes are white. That's what he's saying. Now, what happens when I get in trouble and I need help? Who's going to step up to help me? Well, you say, okay, Jesus will. And he will. Certainly will. He'll, he'll make the avenues open for me. He'll open the doors and windows for me. But what about those that believe in Jesus Christ and love Jesus Christ? What about those that stand tall in a society that's shrinking? Other Christians. Being a servant is what Jesus promised to those who follow him. So anyone who follows Jesus Christ is going to be a servant and is not going to expect anything in return. Isn't that right? So, when, he, when Jesus talked about, in Matthew chapter 6, He says, when He talked about when you give your alms, don't sound a trumpet. So don't expect any reward for what you're doing as a servant, right? You don't have, you don't have to expect someone to know that what you're doing. And He said, when you pray... He said, do it in a corner. Do it, do it in your closet. You don't have to stand on outside and let everybody know and get the accolades. When you fast, don't let anybody know what you're doing. That's what he's saying in Matthew chapter 6. And he says, he, he, he says when, you, uh, when you give your alms, when you pray, when you fast, these are things that you do because Jesus is your master. And for service... When we talk about service to God, forced service is not noble. But voluntary service is noble. In Luke chapter 17, the writer says, and it is from verse 7 through 20, it, it, it describes an individual who is a servant. It said the man comes in, he, he expects his servant to fix his supper, make, make everything ready for him, and feed him. And then afterwards the servant can eat. Then he says, the servant is not supposed to stand up and say, oh, I've done great. He said, the reason is because you've only done what, what is your service, what, what you need to do, what you've been obliged to do. So when we talk about service to God, we're talking about service without recompense. You don't get anything in return. Now, who wants to do that? That's what Peter said. He said, Lord... We gave everything up. Now what do we get? He was on the wrong track. Because Jesus is saying, you give everything up and you get me and you get a hundredfold of homes, houses, family, friends, brothers, sisters, etc. You're getting, you're getting something else besides that. But he says you're not getting repayment as such. Luke 6.22 says, Blessed are you when men shall hate you. They'll separate you from their company and reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. Now, we're talking about a class of individuals who serve Jesus Christ. Class of individuals who have made their robes white in the blood of Jesus Christ. They have palms in their hands like they did when they brought Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. They've spread the palms before him. So he's saying, here are people who believe in Jesus Christ and who are people of great integrity and honesty and decency and uprightness and good moral fiber. Now, you're not going to meet those people in a bar. 
But, but you're going to meet them standing tall where they need to be. That's where you're going to meet them. Let me give you some illustrations. I remember reading a story about a, a preacher who was going through the Southwest at one time, going down through the areas like Texas and Louisiana and Arkansas and so forth. And he was, he was preaching. He was going out and, and preaching. And in order for him to make a livelihood or make, be able to make it, he had to live and stay with people in their homes. They didn't have hotels, motels at that time. This was in the 1800s, the mid-1800s. He said that he stayed with the, he, he got caught in the dark one time and had to stay with a couple of brothers. Rough looking characters, he said. Hard, hard looking men. So he said he was concerned. And as it got toward dark, got darker and darker, and the, and the, the lamp got dimmer and dimmer, he got more and more worried that he might be, they might take advantage of him and take what he has and, and dispose of him. He said, but just as just before the lamp was put out, one of the brothers reached up and got a Bible off the mantle, pulled it down, and, and began to read in the Gospels. And when he got through reading, they prayed together. He said he had a great night's sleep that night. Here were people who believed in Jesus Christ. Here were some of those people that Jesus said, Here's the people you'll have with you, standing with you. And there's, there's an illustration in, in the Roman records that there was an emperor at one time who, who, who decided that he was going to make a name for himself and he was going to enforce this business of not worshiping the Roman idols in the Roman temples. And so he gathered up a great crowd of Christians and he caught a couple of the leaders and he brought them forward and he said, I, I'm, he said here's what's going to happen to you if, if you follow this man called Jesus. So he, he got a couple of ropes out and he had, was going to hang these two guys. And he said, this is what will happen to you if you confess Jesus Christ. And the whole crowd stepped forward and stepped around these men. And they said, we believe that Jesus is the Christ. And the emperor got so disgusted, he threw everything down. And he said, hey, go buy your own ropes. So, and then he left. He just left them all. Here were two men who were faced with death, and their brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ stepped up and said, we're with you. Those men inherited what Peter was told he'd get. Hundreds. Hundreds. Not long ago, I'll, I'll just give you some personal experiences, and you've had some of your own. When you find yourself in a situation that's uncomfortable, and you find a brother or sister, some, let's just say someone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, and you run into them, and all of a sudden you realize that you're not in this alone. You have something in common. You have someone in common with that person. There was a young man several years ago that won two Heismans, two Heisman trophies in football. And every time they gave him, they gave him to it twice. He's the youngest man that ever won the, the, the Heisman trophy in NFL. Then he won it the second year. And when he stepped up to take the award, he said he gave praise and glory to God and Jesus Christ. And I said, Brother, I'm with you. I'm with you. That's good. 
He took a lot of ridicule for that. But there were a lot of people that stood up with him as well and said, we believe that Jesus is the Christ. Now, the thing I want to show you is this. You say, well, I haven't always run into people who have done that. But I'll tell you what, when you do, when you come across someone and you're, you're in a crowd and all of a sudden you find someone else who believes in Jesus Christ, what a great feeling it is. You feel like, hey, here's someone that, that I really like and that really likes me because we both like the same one. Because we all have the same person in us, and that's Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 through 40, there is a, a judgment scene. And in that judgment scene, he, Jesus is separating the sheep from the goats. And he takes the sheep and he says, okay, here you are. You're on, come, come, come inherit the, the blessings of my Father. Come inherit the kingdom. He said, because when I was hungry, you, you fed me. When I needed meat, you fed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. When I was a stranger, you brought me in. And these people were, were not even aware of the great character that they had. They said, Lord, when did we ever do anything like that? It was so much a part of their nature, they didn't even recognize that they were that type of good people. And that's what I believe he's promising Peter. He said, you're going to be surrounded by good people. People that believe in me. If you need a house, it'll be there for you. If you need a dad, it'll be there for you. If you need another mother, she'll be there for you. If you need a son, you need a daughter, you need a friend, they'll be there for you. They'll be there for you. That's what he's promising. But it all depends on whether or not we as individuals, I'd like to be one of those people that Peter could depend on. I'd like to step up and say, Peter, I know you're in trouble, but I'm here to help you. You're in jail, I'm going to come see you. You're hungry, I've got something for you to eat. But in order to do that, I have to be a servant. And I have to be a servant, certain type of a servant. I have to be a servant that says, okay, Peter, I'm going to help you, but I want to make sure that everybody knows that I'm helping Peter the Apostle. Paul said, if I give all my goods to feed the poor and have not love, I'm nothing. That's, the, that's kind of the, the, the kicker we have in terms of the rich man that can't get into heaven. Is that right? You can't buy your way in because in order for you to get into the kingdom of heaven, you have to have the character necessary to get there, to be there. And the people that are there, I'll tell you what, I love them because they're servants. And they don't even know it. They don't even know that they're servants. And that's where I want to be. I want to be at the point where you don't have to tell me how good I did or what I did. Oh, you can tell me if you like the sermon. I can let you do You can do that if you want to. But that does make me feel good. But you don't need my character. I, I want my character to be such that I can serve you without whimpering, without expecting you to reciprocate, but just being a servant. Why? Because I want to be part of that multitude with white robes and the palm of their hands. Character, decency, integrity, honesty, dependability. That's what I want. And I know that's what you want too. Let's stand together and sing the song of invitation.